we really followed the baby steps and that's not because like I think that the baby steps are the only way to do things. I'm, I'm like really, really far from that, but we did the debt, debt snowball method. So I remember our first couple of student loans were like five, six, $700 a piece. We had a couple little ones that were like that, but it was really neat to see, like to pay off a $500 student loan or a $700 student loan and see, see your minimum payments going down and say, Hey, look, this thing, this thing really does work now. Instead of having, $300 left over, we have $350 left over this month, or we have $450 left over this month. And to see the snowball working in the beginning and see this process working, uh, that was super, super helpful for our momentum. Welcome to the neighborhood. My name is Michael Lacey, husband, father, and host of the Wealthy Neighbor Show, where every week we bring you an amazing interview or a message to inspire you as you build wealth for your family. Thanks for stopping by the neighborhood. Now let's jump right in with today's message. Hey neighbors and welcome back for episode 11, which just so happens to be not just the first episode of this year, but the first of the decade. And it's a good one because I have my friend Corey stopping by all the way from Boston to share his financial journey with us. Corey and his wife, Heather, started their marriage off almost six figures in debt, but today they're debt free and well on their way to financial independence with a net worth in the six figures. What a difference, man. It's crazy. Now, they've done this by following principles from Dave Ramsey, as well as leaders of the FIRE movement. They're also real estate investors who use house hacking as a way to lower their monthly expenses, which is important considering they live in one of the top five most expensive cities in the country in Boston. Corey and Heather also recently welcomed their first child into the world, so we definitely talk a little bit about preparing your finances for a baby. But speaking of finances and kids, Corey, I have to ask, what kind of financial example did you have when you were a kid? So growing up, I grew up in a really, I would say, lower middle class family. There's definitely not a lot of income there. I had my mom and my stepdad, and then I also had influences from my biological father. Um, there's there's never there was never a lot of money, but I would say my my mom and stepdad at least were really, really responsible with the money that that they did have. Like they never uh, overextended them themselves, um, but we were always provided for. Uh, so I grew up with this kind of mindset, uh, almost like a, a scarcity mindset around money and never really an abundance mindset. But I was also taught how to be really frugal and responsible at the same time. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, that makes total sense. So, I mean, now you're married and and you you could literally have a kid while we're recording this. So, uh, <laughs> how did, you know, that experience in your childhood kind of affect your marriage in the early days? Uh, I I don't know how that affected my marriage really on that mindset really. Heather also came from a very, I would say, more upper middle class family, but extremely frugal, extremely responsible family. Um, so Heather and I really were uh, were aligned on the whole money and finance thing from from day one, really. Um, and what really helped us, and I, I talk about this a lot on my page, is that we took Financial Peace University as uh, premarital counseling before we got married. Our pastor recommended that, and 
we did that and it was like from day one, we were aligned with what our goals were going to be. We didn't necessarily know. Or I guess what that gave us the ability to do was it gave us a framework to get out of debt and do what we needed to do before we both knew, all right, we're going to be responsible with money. We're going to be conservative with money. Um, we want to pay off our student loan debt, but we really didn't have a roadmap to get there. We kind of knew that's what we wanted to do. Um, but then that gave us a, a framework and a roadmap to get there. And that was just so, so huge for us, even though we were already aligned, you know, coming into it with what we wanted to do, we really had no idea how to do it. Right. Gotcha. That makes a lot of sense. So you mentioned that you both kind of had these frugal backgrounds, but somehow, you know, you managed to have, find yourself $94,000 in debt. How did that happen? How did you find yourself in that much debt early on in life? Well, I mean, we got sold the American dream of going to college, right? Um, so both of us went, went to college. Um, I, I came out of undergrad with 50K in student loan debt and Heather didn't come out of undergrad with as much, but she went to grad school to get her M MBA and ended up with undergrad and grad at uh, 50K worth of debt or around there, right? So we, we just, you know, 22-year-old fresh graduates with, uh, with a mortgage payment worth of debt, you know, and no house. Wow. So, I mean, that was that the extent of your debt was just the, uh, the student loans there? Uh, no. Um, <laughs> right, right before we got married, when we were engaged, both Heather and I were in pretty bad accidents separately. She tore her ACL, MCL and meniscus, and I was in an accident where I broke a bunch of bones and ended up on disability and ended up in a wheelchair. We had about 82 in student loans and 12 in medical debt. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. So, you know, you said that you guys went through Dave Ramsey's financial piece. Was that the turning point or was, the, or was there like a specific moment or a specific lesson in there uh, that led you to finally say, okay, yep. This is what we're going to do. We're going to get out of debt and we're going to create this plan and we're going to build wealth. Um, no, it was, it was more, there was never really a turning point, turning point for us. Cause we just, we just came out of college with student loan debt and we knew we wanted to take care of it right away. That just gave us a framework. So um, we kind of had a lot going on before we got married with both of us getting hurt. Um, and then after we got married and got our, got our feet on the ground, we were like, all right, how can we attack this thing? And how can we how can we take care of this? But it was it was always our goal to get after it. Um, so who approached who? I mean, who was the more, I guess, financially responsible one early on in the relationship that said, hey, you know, I know you mentioned that your pastor was the one who kind of pushed you to go through that. But but was there one of you that was in the class that was like, yeah, this is like this is it. This is what we're doing. Or were both of you just kind of looking at each other going, yep, we're on the same page about this from that point forward? Well, I had I had known about Dave Ramsey from um, way before my past when my pastor suggested we took the class. Uh, my cousin, I, I must have been in junior high or something. My cousin came back from college talking about this crazy redneck guy that that talks about paying off debt and starting IRAs. And he kind of planted that seed in my head and how like wealthy I could be from like uh, from, from a really early age, like a teenager. Right. And um, I kind of I kind of left it alone, but knew that was the direction I wanted to go after I graduated college. Um, and then when my pastor suggested it, I really pushed Heather, you know, then we were broke. Like, I mean, we were broke. We had nothing. And uh, when he suggested it, I really had to convince Heather. I was like, Heather, look, I, this is going to be a really good thing. I know it's a hundred bucks, but 
know, we've got a wedding to pay for. We got these other things to pay for. We got your medical bills, but um, I think it's really, it's really, really going to pay off for us that hundred dollars. You know, we, we should do this. And um, so I really, I, I really uh, kind of drove it, but it was more like I wasn't pushing her into doing it. There wasn't like much resistance. And then when we, when we took that together, it was like, yeah, this is what we got to do. So how long did it take you guys to eliminate $94,000 worth of debt? So we kind of, we kind of took, you know, we, we got married in July of 2012. And from there, we kind of took like three or four months to, to figure out which way, which way was up and figure out how to work together as a married couple and just, you know, learn how to live life on your own. Right. But from that, from that point, I think after that first four or five months of marriage, we, we really buckled down and got started. It took us, uh, it took us 34 months. So a little bit less than three years. Yeah. 94,034 months. That's amazing. Nothing short of amazing there. So, I mean, you had a lot of debt and by societal terms, you paid it off like really quickly. So how did it feel for you specifically when you made that last debt payment? I mean, walk me through kind of what that was like. You know, I'm like, to, to be honest, it was super anticlimactic, right? <laughs> it was super, it was just like just another day. It was really, really anticlimactic because the whole time we were paying off this debt, we were really consistent. We were really, really consistent with it. It was like every Friday we made a payment on our debt, the way that our biweekly payment uh, our, our biweekly paychecks came in. Like it was almost like we got paid every single week. I, I would get my check or get her check. And, um, I would just, I knew the, the way the cash flow was going that week. And I would make whatever excess there was, I'd make that debt payment. And then it was almost like it was just another Friday. Um, and then I don't know if a lot of people know this, but Heather and I were on the Dave Ramsey show and we did our debt free screen on his show back in 2015. And, even then, that was kind of anticlimactic for me. When this thing really start, started to get good is four to six months after being debt-free and you really see your money, like you really see your, your savings going up and your net worth going up. And you're like, wow, this is, this is why I work so hard. So we got married in October 2014 and we were debt-free February 2016. And so we are coming up on four years now of debt freedom. And I still have those moments of like, dang, like I really just transferred that much money to savings or, or fidelity, you know, like, do you still find yourself having those feelings or was that kind of a thing that was like early on and now you're just in a different, on a different wavelength? I feel like I'm in a different, I feel like I'm kind of on a different wavelength. I do have like, I, I do have these months where it doesn't even feel like it's, it's real money where it's like, wow, I can't believe that we are able to save or invest this much money this month, but that's kind of just like part of the course now. But I just, I remember when we started paying off debt and when we were trying to get on a budget and when we were trying to figure all of this stuff out and figure all these little details of life out and the details of the budget. And I remember like working so hard to put an extra $300 to debt or $500 to debt. And Heather and I actually have all of our budgets on like that we've ever done in a spiral spiral ring binder. We do everything on pen and paper. And um, I can still look at like the early ones from six, seven years ago and see that like, oh, we were only able to put $300 to debt that month. And it was so hard to, you know, feel like you were going anywhere and feel like you were making any progress. But like looking back, 
looking back, it's amazing to see how far we come. Like the needle moves at first, the, the needle doesn't move that much every month. And it's, it's really hard to keep momentum going when that happens. So, I mean, let's go back to that. I mean, you said you're staring at this mountain of 94,000 and you're only able to put $300 a month towards it. I mean, how do you stay mo- motivated when, when that's the case? Right. So uh, like that's $300 extra, right? So in, in my case, um, we really followed the baby steps and that's not because like, I think that the baby steps are the only way to do things. I'm, I'm like really, really far from that, but we did the debt, debt snowball method. So I remember our first couple of student loans were like five, six, $700 a piece. We had a couple little ones that were like that, but it was really neat to see, like to pay off a $500 student loan or a $700 student loan and see, um, see your minimum payments going down and say, Hey, look, this thing, this thing really does work now. Instead of having, $300 left over, we have $350 left over this month, or we have $450 left over this month. And to see the snowball working in the beginning and see this process working, uh, that was super, super helpful for our momentum. Also, like I've been, I, I track our net worth all the time, like on a weekly, monthly basis. So to watch, to watch the needle actually move, like this is where we were last month. This is where we are this month. This is where we were last year. This is where we are this year. That, that stuff. You know, you kind of get stuck in the day-to-day grind of everything. And it doesn't, especially early on, it doesn't feel like you're going anywhere. But when you're actually tracking and using the data that you have to to track where you're at, that's really helpful to like keep your spirits up and keep your momentum moving. I know for us, we sit down on the fourth Sunday of every month and we kind of review what we did that worked and what we did last month that didn't work so well. And then we create a plan going forward for the next month. Is that, do you guys kind of have a similar system set up? We do in a sense that Heather and I, regardless regardless of the month or what's going on, we sit down at the beginning of the month. It might not be on a Sunday. It might be on a Tuesday night. Um, but before the beginning of the next month, we sit down and do a budget together. And to be honest, Mike, it's we've been doing this together, pulling in the same direction for seven years now. It means that we've almost done 100 monthly budgets together. And the the mathematical exercise or the budget exercise at this point is almost automatic. Where What it is really helpful for us to get back to your point is that it helps us plan where we want to go for the month. And it helps us kind of plan out our our goals. And it helps us talk about um, what worked, what didn't work, um, and really what our schedule looks like. And it helps us stay aligned. And the more aligned we are, the further we can go. I love that. So I know that a big part of your story, and you've kind of touched on it on Instagram a couple of times, is not having a car payment. And so Walk me through just some of the cars you've owned. I, I want our listeners to kind of hear some of the cars you've owned. Give me, give me some of kind of like the years and and, and kind of a timeline of, of owning these cars. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Mike, I've had some bad cars. I've had some awful cars. <laughs> um, man, so when I was in when I was in uh, my first car ever was a 1990 Ford Escort hatchback. Um, that actually bought off my sister who got the car from my grandfather. So like, that's how old this car was. And by the time I got the car, it was like, oh man, it was at least 18 years old. So I had that car for, for a little while and it ended up blowing up in the middle of the street, right outside, right outside of the high school. So you had, I had this almost 20 year year old car that was 
blown up in the middle of the street right outside the high school. That was that was pretty embarrassing. Right? <laughs> and then and, and then I, I had a few other cars, but when I met Heather, I had just graduated college and I bought a, a Subaru Forester off of my grandfather that I got like a crazy good deal on. I got it for 2,500 bucks. But at that point in time, it was like 12 years old. And, you know, it was like, if you look it up on Wikipedia, it's called a micro SUV, but Heather calls it a station wagon. <laughs> <right>? <laughs> so... I, I still say it's an SUV, but she <laughs> <laughs> she calls it a wagon. Um, but that that was like that was the car that I came into the marriage with. But what I what I didn't know when I met Heather is that she was driving, and this is it. This is in um, 2010, right? Uh, yeah, this is late 2010, early 2011. Heather was driving a 1991 Dodge Dynasty, and there's a picture of that on my Instagram uh, to, to get a visual to get a visual with that that car looks like we actually have a picture of that car autographed by Dave Ramsey. We brought it to the, um, we brought it to the financial peace studios. But so I came into the marriage. I had the Forester. Heather had this Dodge dynasty and it it was in 91, but it was like a grandma's car. It had like 70,000 miles on it and and it ran. Um, But then little by little things started going wrong with it. The windows broke. Um, It started overheating in the middle of the, it started overheating. So I had to keep the heat on all the time, even in the summer to keep the heat off the engine and it didn't have a radio. So I would be driving in the car in rush hour traffic with the heat on full blast in the summer, listening to the radio on my phone. I would listen to like the Dave Ramsey show on iHeartRadio on my phone in my ear (laughs) while I'm driving this car. And the thing, my coworkers, my coworkers would be like, why are you driving that car? Why don't you go get another car? And I was like, I don't, you know, I've got, I've got some student loans. I can't go get a car right now. So if I can, if I can interrupt you, cause that's, that's a very important part of this story is how, yeah. about how much yeah. were you making around that time? Um, so when we started our marriage, this is like, uh, when we first got married, we were making about $68,000 a year combined. And then that was because I was working a full-time job, uh, as an entry level civil engineer, and Heather was working an internship. So she she finished her MBA and opted to take an internship in a growing field instead of getting a full-time job, like doing something she didn't really want to do. Um, that internship eventually translated or turned into a full-time job, which bumped our income up to about 100K. So we were making about 100K driving cars that total blue book value were like $2,800. That's incredible, man. So... So yeah. I mean, yeah. how how big of a factor was that in you guys, you know, blowing through your debt and doing all those things, and ultimately getting where you are today? Financially, I don't know if it was the right choice, but what where it did keep us motivated is it kind of like helped us keep our eyes on the prize. Like, all right, once we once we get out of debt, we can afford to to really upgrade these cars pretty quickly. It really helped us you know, have a goal and have something to look forward to. Personally, looking back, I don't know if I would, if I would recommend driving cars that were that, that old and that bad. Also because like I, I work as a consultant and I drive a ton of miles. Like I worked as a engineering consultant and I drove a ton of miles. Um, and now in my current job, I, I drive a ton of miles, but so I'm always putting miles on cars. I don't know if you like looked at the mileage on my cars in my posts, but Generally, you know, I'm getting these cars with like eighty to ninety thousand miles and putting 
over 200,000 miles on them pretty quickly, like within four years. So, so I usually, I usually drive like between 25 and 35,000 miles a year where the average person does like 12 or, you know, on the high side. So for me, um, what was a big factor in our financial journey, what actually helped us is, um, when we bought a $7,500 Honda Accord, super reliable, super reasonable car, um, it had 117,000 miles on it, but to actually have a reliable car on our journey, we, we got that in the middle of paying off debt. So we actually went, Heather, Heather's parents loaned us some money to get this Honda Accord and we ended up paying them off in two months. So it was like, we kind of put our paying off our student loans on hold and paid off this Accord, but it was just so key for us to, uh, to, to have a reliable car really, really changed our situation. So, you know, I, I really recommend for people to, if at all possible, spend at least like four to five grand on a car. Right. Good stuff. Good stuff. So let's switch gears a little bit. Uh, you know, we, we met on Instagram and you go by fire in bean town on Instagram. And so take a second to explain to our listeners what fire means and, and why that's so important to you personally. All right. Yeah. So fire for people that, that don't listen. Cause I kind of live in this, um, I kind of live in like this financial bubble online that I assume that everybody knows what this stuff means, but fire stands for financial independence, retire early. And for me, for me, I'm really, really big on the left side of that acronym. I'm really big on the financial independence side. And then if the retire early side happens, it happens, but I'm kind of like, I want to have financial independence and financial security. Um, and then if retire early is a byproduct of that, that's, that's a good thing to me, but I don't think either Heather or I have any desire to like retire early and travel to the U S in a van and tr like just live this nomadic travel lifestyle that you see a lot of the fire people doing. So what, I mean, what are some of the strategies that you've implemented to kind of help you achieve that financial independence side of it? Um, so what we do is we, we just really, really focus on our gap, which is like you have your income minus your spent expenses, and then you have the money that's left over. And we really focus on how we can optimize and utilize that money. We always make sure that money is going to our goals and it's just not disappearing out of our accounts. So what that does is it gives us a relatively high savings rate. And also we automate a lot of our savings. So where, I mean, are, what type of vehicles are you using for your savings? Um, so for our savings, we have, uh, we, we just have our emergency fund, you know, high yield savings account. Uh, we're maxing most of our tax advantaged accounts or 401ks or IRAs. We're currently not maxing our IRA because we're putting things on hold for the, the baby, but we are kind of balancing uh, by maxing our 401k. And then we're throwing everything else that we have left over at the mortgage right now. Gotcha. So you, you brought it up. So let's talk about it. You know, talk to me about that process of preparing financially for a baby. I mean, I, you know, I have a, a little one myself and um, I know for us, we didn't really change much, but I'm curious to know kind of what changes you guys had to make. Um, or do you anticipate making moving forward in this new chapter? <laughs> I I got to be honest with, with you and everybody that might eventually listen to this podcast. Uh, I have no clue what I'm doing. 
<laughs> I just have no clue. I have no clue what I'm doing financially. I have no clue what I'm doing um, to actually care for another person on a that day-to-day basis. That honesty is so refreshing, man. Yeah. Like, I love it. I love it. But but I'll tell you, I'll tell you what, I'll tell you what, uh, what we have done and. It, it makes it really, it makes it really easy to kind of approach this situation like this. I mean, Heather and I, Heather and I started planning financially not to have a baby, but we started financially planning back in 2012. So it's been nine years or seven years now of, uh, of, of financial planning. And we, we have a relatively high savings rate and we've, you know, instead of um, spending as much money as we make, we've been able to save a lot of that. We have a really reasonable mortgage payment for where we live. Um, we have no other bills, and um, and we have this. You, you, a lot of people know about this. We have this house hack. We rent out our basement, um, so we have no other bills. We have an income, a residual income coming in, and we have a lot of options right now. So how we've prepared for a baby or ha- having a child is we've given ourselves a lot of options. So with, with my wife's income, my income and the residual income that we have coming in, we have, we have a lot of choices right now. So if, uh, if the current plan is for both of us to go back to work, but if that doesn't work for either one of us, you know, if that doesn't work for our family situation, we have options. Yeah, that goes back to the, the fire thing to me, that the financial independence thing is, is all about options. I kind of look at that like, you know, I, I, I really want to keep working in a job that I love, uh, but I also want to be able to go to my kids' soccer games whenever I want. Like those, like to have those kind of options, those are really important to me. So I got to back up again because you brought up something that I'm, and I want to make sure our audience understands this. You use the term house hacking your basement. What does that mean? Uh, house hacking was a term that I believe is coined on the bigger pockets real estate podcast. Um, but in this, in its simplest form, it is getting your primary residence to pay you in some capacity. Now you could buy a duplex and live in one side and have somebody else rent the other side. You could buy a triplex, live in one unit, rent out the other two units, live in a quadplex, live in one unit, rent out the other three, or in its simplest form, you could have a, a primary residence and rent out to roommates. So what I did is I, I stumbled upon this situation where a developer was willing to uh, build out a condo for me. And Austin recently changed the zoning regulations to allow uh, in-law suites. So I had the developer build out uh, an in-law suite for me in our basement. And we basically live in an up-down duplex where uh, Heather and I live on the first floor and somebody lives in a fully separated basement. So we have a one bedroom, one, one bathroom apartment. And uh, what what that does for us is it makes our mortgage like eleven hundred dollars out of pocket. And, and you're living in Boston, one of the highest cost of living areas with an eleven hundred dollar mortgage. Exactly. Exactly. We're in a three bedroom, one and a half bathroom condo and our mortgage is eleven hundred bucks a month. Whereas like we were renting, we were renting a condo that wasn't as nice as this. And it was $3,100 a month. Wow, man. Talk about being creative and 
being on the lookout for solutions to to put yourself in the best position financially. I mean that that deserves an applause. So um, I guess we'll you know we'll, we're kind of near wrapping this up, but I do have to ask, what's your long term focus uh, moving forward from this point? I mean, are there any big goals that you're shooting for specifically from this point? Yeah, yeah. I mean, our our biggest goal is to to pay off the mortgage on our uh, on our primary here. Um, so I, I think it's, well, let me take a step back. That's, that's our biggest long-term financial goal. The next three months for us are probably just going to be figuring out how to keep our heads above water personally. Um, financially things will be okay, but just figuring out how to keep our heads above water and adjust to life and giving ourselves a little bit of freedom and flexibility, um, to be able to do that. So it's going to be really hard for me because for the last, even before I got married, before I met Heather, um, for the last couple of years, or really the last nine years, I've done nothing but like work to see my net worth go up. And over the next couple of months, you know, Heather's, Heather's going to be staying home. I'm going to be, I'm going to be uh, at work in a reduced capacity and our income's not going to be there. And we're still going to have bills and our net worth is probably, gonna, you know, our numbers are probably going to level out for the next couple of months. And I'm just going to have to be okay with that. So kind of like being okay in this life stage to know that things are just going to ramp up again. It will be consistent. It will be fine moving forward. Man, that sounds great. So I always like to end with one of these questions. Are there any books that you'd recommend to anybody that's kind of looking to start changing their financial situation um, as a result of hearing this? I mean, we've covered a lot of topics. We've talked about FPU, we've talked about cars, house hacking, um, all those things. So are there any books or resources you'd recommend? Yeah, I, I hate to be so cliche with it, but if you're looking to get started, I, there there is no better place to get started than the Total Money Makeover by Dave Ramsey. I really like, there's so many people in the financial community that agree with nuances in the, in the seven baby steps, whether it's, you know, the size of the the size of the small emergency fund you should have, or if you should pay your, like if you should do a debt snowball or debt avalanche, smallest interest rate versus smallest balance, whether you should stop contributing to your 401k. Um, there's so many, there, there's so many arguments against um, the nuances of the seven baby steps, but foundationally, uh, fundamentally, it's it's a great place to get started. And then another book that I really enjoyed um, that changed my mindset around the way money worked and the way that cash flowed um, was was Rich Dad Poor Dad. So those are those are the two books that I started reading when I got into this and really started, you know, formulating my mindset around these. Around this whole topic of money, and rich dad poor dad was was so big for me because I came from like really really humble beginnings and identified with a lot of the quote unquote poor dad statements in the book. Awesome, awesome. So, final question would be: What would you say to somebody listening right now who uh, maybe facing you know ninety four thousand like you were, or maybe it's thirty thousand or whatever that debt may be? Um, what would you say to that person who's facing that you know what they feel is an insurmountable debt, and they feel like there's no hope and and no real way for them to ever you know get debt free and start making financial progress? I would say to breathe, right? I would t- say to take a deep breath, and that's step that's step one is to just take it all in, take a deep breath. This this debt that's hanging over you, it's not going to kill you. 
Like it's not, it's just money. It's fine. It's, it's not, it's not the end of your life. The, the second thing to do once you gather yourself is get organized is to lay everything out. Odds are you're so stressed out about this debt or this financial challenge in whatever capacity it is because you've never ever even laid out the numbers to see how you can pay this thing off. It's crazy because I do, I do get the the privilege of talking to a lot of people um, on my Instagram account. And I, I do get to help a few people out with their, their personal budgets. And there's so many people that initially say like, I don't know how I'm going to do this. There's no hope. There's th- 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 this is never going to work. Um, but when you actually lay the numbers out nine times out of 10, there's money left over. Like sometimes there's an income problem and sometimes there's an extreme situation, but nine times out of 10, there's, there's money left over at the end of the month that you can start using toward your goals and using to help you get out of this situation. And then you can like from there, develop a, a debt payoff timeline. And from there, you can really, really develop a, a path forward and have a goal to be able to get out of the situation. There will be like, instead of just feeling hopeless with the world coming crashing down around you, you have this, you have this roadmap with an endpoint. And once you, once you can actually breathe and you can see the goal and you can see the path, you can finish this. Wow. You know what, Corey? That's actually a really great point. I mean, I couldn't have said it better myself, but hey, I do want to thank you for stopping by the neighborhood and and sharing your story with us, man. I mean, I really do appreciate you taking the time to do this. And if you'd like to connect with Corey, I'll be sure to link to his Instagram profile in the show notes, which you can find at winningtowealth.com slash episode 11. Now, the thing I love the most about this episode was the part when Corey talked about how he and Heather created options for themselves by making wise financial choices. See, because they had the emergency fund set up and all these assets, they're free to take as much time as they need off with their kid. But imagine if they had that $3,300 rent or mortgage payment that he talked about, that student loan debt, a car payment or no emergency fund. Things would probably be a lot different and they'd possibly be forced into making decisions that they didn't want to. But see, that's not their story, because for the last seven, eight years, they've been financially disciplined and made wise choices with their money. And that's the beauty of financial freedom, knowing that at just about any given moment, you're doing exactly what you want to do instead of what you have to do in order to survive. So here's what I want you to do. If you've been inspired by this episode with Corey, be sure to share it on social media. This is how people who need this info find the show and get the tips and resources they may need to build a better financial future for their families. Also, if you're just now finding us and looking to get a jumpstart on your finances in the new year, be sure to download our money guide, which gives you a step-by-step roadmap to ending the paycheck-to-paycheck lifestyle, conquering your debt, and becoming an investor. You can find that at winningtowealth.com slash guide. That's winningtowealth.com slash guide. Now, I do want to take a quick sec to wish you a happy new year, and I hope this year brings you more joy, more peace, and more prosperity than you know what to do with. Thanks again for listening, and we'll talk soon. 